How's everybody today? Okay? How many are thankful for the cloud coverage? What about the rest of you? Are you glad you're not sitting in the blazing sun today? Isn't God good? He's so good. Praise the Lord. Hey, one last quick thing. Over there um, on the, the two black tables over there, we have signups for our groups and classes that are going to be launching here in a couple weeks. Uh, just our big heart and desire for you is that every person is connected in some capacity as we head into the fall season. Um, and we're vastly approaching the full swing of the fall. How was everybody's first week? If you had school or maybe you haven't had school yet, nod your head at me if you're still alive, if you're okay. Or just kind of like <laughs> whatever. Way to go. You've made it. If you can make it one week, you can make it two weeks and then six weeks. And um, praise God. It's not every day that a pastor who has four kids has two consecutive birthdays on a Sunday. Uh, a couple weeks ago, it was my son Caleb's birthday. Today, it's my son Benjamin's birthday. So can we all say happy birthday to my Benjamin boy? He's running around over there. And Benjamin is four years old today. And we're just so proud of him. So you can buy him trains and candy and stuff if you want. That's cool. No, don't buy candy. We have enough energy in our house. Praise the Lord. Well, let me just pray for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll open the scriptures together here this morning. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for the people of God who've gathered outdoors and online today. In many ways, already that's sort of a miracle when there's so many options for our attention, for our affection, and for our ultimate ambition and allegiance, Lord, that those here outdoors and those who've tuned in online, the fact that they're tuning in is evidence of your grace in their life. You're drawing us to yourself, Father, and we thank you for your presence today. Would you Nurture and nourish the hungry soul. Would you heal the broken heart? Would you restore those whose hope has been deferred for so long that their soul is sick? Would you give clarity of vision for those who feel like they're groping in a season of darkness? Would you give boldness and courage to those that the gun is fired, the track is laid out before them, but it's time to get out of the chute and run? Father, for those who are weary from the fight, thank you today. You're their rest. I guess what I'm trying to say is, God, that all our fountains are in you. No matter what we need or face or feel, everything we need is found in you. And so right now, those who are in attendance and those online, would you just profoundly break in, Holy Spirit? Touch them deeply tangibly, God, that we could get at it another week to love and to give our lives away to the one who gave everything for us so we could experience his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we all said in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, my talk today, is pre it's pretty simple, and it's a kickoff talk to many more talks that are coming, many more conversations that are coming. Um, I want to just admonish you in the Lord, do not wait for a better season scenario 
or circumstance to begin obeying the Lord. Don't wait for a better season that you think is more conducive or a scenario that's more serene or circumstances that are more cozy to begin obeying the Lord and walking faithfully with Him. Don't make your surroundings or your situations bigger than the everyday opportunity to walk with the Lord moment by moment with the yes in your heart. Maybe you think today or that you've thought in the past, but Chatty, if only my circumstances were better or more conducive or convenient, then maybe I could be a little more faithful. And I want you to know that the Garden of Eden was the most perfect context if it was about our surrounding circumstances and situations to crush it. The Garden was perfect in every way, agree or disagree. Come on, somebody. There's never been a better opportunity to walk in the fullness and faithfulness to God and flourish as he designed and intended for life to flourish. Agree or disagree. There's never been a better context for people to thrive. And yet, in the garden, they were susceptible to the lie of the enemy. Did God really say a seed was planted in their spirit? beginning to doubt the sufficiency of God's Word, beginning to doubt His wisdom for life. And really at the heart of the lie was to doubt His goodness. Painting a picture of God through a lens of the restrictions that He placed on you instead of the permission He gave you to rule and to subdue the earth with Him. And the woman's response to the serpent, uh, we can eat from any tree in the garden. He just said, don't touch the one in the middle or you'll die. Round number two, lie. You won't certainly die. God just knows when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be just like him. This is a piggyback lie to the first lie that God isn't good, can't be trusted. His wisdom isn't sufficient for life. This is a lie that God is somehow holding out on you like he's a trickster. If we can be honest, all of us have bitten from that fruit. And so the lie goes like this. Your best life, Adam and Eve, is the life outside of God's guidance and governance, outside of God's wisdom. The story you want to belong to is the story that revolves around you and not him. And so the enemy takes a lie, and if he can get a little seed in a crevice, he'll take all the territory we'll give him, amen? When the woman saw that the fruit was good, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She gave it to her husband and ate it. And then the eyes of both were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. And here again is the sequence. Did God really say? Did God really say that? Come on, has anyone ever, has anyone ever bought into that introductory conversation to go down a path that you know you shouldn't go down? And it's just entertaining 
Does this really apply to me? Come on, who's ever done the apply to me game? (laughs) And then here is the next lie. Cast off restrictions and restraints. Blow through the barrier walls of God's wisdom. Why? Because God is holding out on you. Life in him will not get you to that which you long to get to. And how many know that God already made them like himself? Amen. So the lie actually revolves around a deeper truth that they didn't quite have full revelation on. They were already made in God's image. Come on, somebody say amen. They were already the highest ruling office outside of God's throne. They had little thrones next to God. But the enemy takes that thing that they're not walking in revelation and awareness of, and he riffs off of it to create another narrative where God is on the outside of the story and you and I are front and center. Why? Because he's holding out on you. Life in him is restrictive. Be your own little kings and queens. And so here, I want you to see this sequence. We're going to start talking about for the next few weeks what discipleship really is all about. And, and man, this morning on my run, I mean, I, it was like, I wish I was preaching while I was running. Because it, to me, my hope over these next few weeks and, and really month or months is we'll begin to see how important the realm of our desire, the power of our imagination and curiosity, how powerful those three things are to form us into the kind of people that either A, bear witness to the reign and rule of God, or B, make a mess out of our lives on the way to trying to find life outside of God. How important those things. So here's really what the enemy does. He appeals to their curiosity. Again, did God really say he creates a counter narrative and he tries to incite them to buy that story instead of the ultimate story? Come on. How many know we are storied creatures like we are we are a, my goodness, we are we are the air that we breathe is narrative is the story, the damsel in the stress, the prince who dies on his way to we are we live in the power of stories. Agree. Say amen. And so what the enemy does is he creates an opportunity to believe another story. So there's curiosity and he gets their heart to believe a false narrative about God because there's no way if we really saw God for who he was that we would ever want to really choose anything other than him. He's that good. Come on, someone say he's that good. If we knew how glorious he was and life in him is anything but restrictive, it's expansive, it's abundant, it's not scarcity or lack, it's fullness, it's flourishing, it's all that you crave and long for in your heart and whatever story you're walking in and path your feet are treading. So he, he creates a false narrative clothed in a lie. He tries to get them into the center of the story instead of them being co leads in the story in submission to the one who created them. And then he appeals to desire. Come on, someone say he always appeals to desire. Always appeals. Look what the the story says there in Genesis 3. She looked at the fruit and was like, yeah, it does look pretty good. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, "It, it did. It had to have looked pretty good. And so curiosity A counter-narrative of which you're the superstar, cast off restraint, ignore God's guidance and governance and wisdom, and then he appeals just to sheer desire. If you eat it, you'll be just like him. 
He didn't offer her a theory. He appealed to the primal place within every human heart, which is to crave significance, to crave having a powerful place to play in a story that transcends the immediate but lasts beyond your life. He, he hit her right in the place of desire. And when she saw, she connected with that desire, but she looked for desire being fulfilled outside of God's guidance, outside of God's wisdom, and outside of God's word. That which she reached for and hoped it would deliver opened her eyes to a reality and a realm and a story of which she was out of the protective covering of the one who started the story in the beginning. Desire. Say that with me. Desire. She looked at it and was like, man, that looks good. Here's what's so funny. I'm sitting, I'm like preaching this to myself this morning on my morning run. And this dude, I don't know from Adam, pun intended. I'm running on Elm and Ash somewhere. I forget. I, was, I know where I was. This dude, I promise you I'm praying about this talk. I'm praying. I'm running hard 6.30 this morning. Some dude comes off the sidewalk with a branch and an avocado, a fruit on it. To, I don't know. I'm like, I didn't even know. I'm like... I'm running, and he's all, I'm like, thanks for the sermon illustration, bro. But here's the revelation. If you're running, at a, at, running on the path he's called you, that fruit looks, looks less delicious when you're running and engaged in the story. I had a story to fulfill today. I had to come and lift up my song to the king and deliver the word to God's people. And so I can run. You can offer the fruit, but there's a better story of which I'm a participant in. And I promise you, I was like, dude, thanks for the sermon. And he just ran towards me from his house with a branch and a piece of fruit. Avocado, I think, is a fruit. It's got a seed. And I was like, I thought he was giving me knuckles, so I went for knuckles, but then I realized that could have been lunch. Dang it. And so when we talk about discipleship, we're not talking about you memorizing the four Roman laws. We're not talking about you memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, although that's a great practice. You're not, we're not talking about making you a good person. We're, we're talking about partnering with the Holy Spirit to train and shape our desires to want, to burn, to long, and to have an appetite for God and His kingdom and His ways. Discipleship is not some scholastic pursuit, although your mind is thoroughly involved from the beginning to the end. What discipleship is, is the transformation of desire, those things, those stories that end up chewing us up and spinning us out and saying yes to the cross, yes to the Holy Spirit, changing us from the inside out so that we want what actually satisfies. We crave and we long for that which will actually give us significance, purpose, and legacy, and meaning to our life. Discipleship is the curation of desire. Come on, if you, social media has curation dialed perfect. They know what you visited. They know what stores you're looking at. They curate what you desire. It's called algorithms. You don't randomly get some ad from Guitar Center on your Instagram feed. I just looked at new gear for our church. So they're trying to get me from every angle. They're appealing to desire. Come on, since when did women in scantily clad clothes frequent Carl's Jr.? Come on, it's called marketing. They, they, they combine a need, eating, with desire. 
You have to turn your head to commercials. Why? Because the world understands if they can get you in the place of tangible need, longing, everyone needs a story, everyone needs a place to call home, a person to call father, right? Come on, a story to participate in. Come on. This is the lie of the enemy. Pulls us in perceived need and then the lack of that need, and then it's just sheer desire formation. You need this burger. (sighs) Never had a burger in their life. Are you tracking with me? I want you to start understanding at an unprecedented rate from every angle, you are being targeted in the realm of your desire. I mean, from every ad, from every post, I mean, there, even those who are addicted to news, you understand that that's appealing to your direct desire. If you're not person of faith, well, then the enemy will certainly settle for fear, anger, bitterness, resentment, rage. These are desires to be a part of a bigger story than you. It's just a bad story, a cheap substitute for the story of the kingdom of God. The one who wants to redeem and reconcile and restore all things to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, in partnership with the desired creatures who are being formed and fashioned to rule and to reign for all eternity with Jesus. It's desire. That's I'm just, I, the whole time, I'm like, Lord, it's a de- we got to go after desire this fall. I mean, it's this, we, Lord, there, there's infinite, we are at a smorgasbord of options that are trying to hit our desire muscle, but only you are the one worth desiring. And if you notice this, anyone ever see the show Biggest Loser? Anyone? Raise your hand. The Biggest Loser, that famous show on NBC. You know, they take 30 contestants, usually obese and overweight, and they they take them out of their context. Come on, somebody. They take them from their family. They go to a a ranch, and they have these super good-looking, you know, uh, 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 physical trainers, they, they have the best gym stocked, and they take them out of their normal circumstance. And then during the competition, they, they have to overcome temptations. So they put them in the middle of a supermarket where there's all these sweets, but they got to weigh in at the end of the week. And by the way, at the end of the competition's a hundred grand, not bad for who loses the most weight. And I was thinking about this whole story, this whole story, this whole show, that's one of the most famous shows in history. I was researching it a little bit this morning. One of the longest running shows like it. All it is is trying to help people transform their desire. And I want you to know that you may think your life's not significant or, or you're, you know, you're just kind of, I was thinking about my own life and I know I'm significant, everyone's significant, but I'm a human, so sometimes I believe the lie that I'm not. Anyone else with me? That what I really long for and crave, it doesn't really matter to God. He's indifferent. The story's big. It goes on without me. And I want you to know those are all lies from the enemy. And I was thinking this morning, just, that's why I started the message. There's never, there's never a better time than now to obey his voice. Because every time you obey, it's like another rep of training desire. Come on, every time you say yes, it's another rep. Come on, say that with me. Every time you say yes to his ways, his will, his wisdom, his guidance, his governments, his glory, his goodness, his grace, and every other G you can think of, every time there's a yes, it's a rep that's training desire. Come on, do it with me. Every yes is a rep. Oh, come on, that's a good one. Every yes is a rep. Every yes, every yes, every yes. Every yes is a rep. Lord, you're training desire.
That which feels like a duty right now is going to become a delight on the other side of that hill. Come on, somebody say amen. It's not easy. It's called training. Come on, somebody. It's not easy. It's training. But we're only training for something called reigning and ruling with God for all eternity. Training is worth it. Come on, say it to your neighbor. The training is worth it. Desire. How many think today that God is indifferent to... to, to that which you desire in your heart. How many would believe that he, he's just indifferent? It's not a big deal. Or how many believe that we serve a God that is deeply and profoundly moved when that desire that he placed within us connects with himself? When there's a connection. When there's a connection. And what's so significant as I close, this was just an introduction. We're going to talk about how, okay, if desire matters, and really all of life, it's after my heart, after the place of desire within me, because if you can get my desire, it's like a string that has a bunch of knots, and it just keeps pulling. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, just look at your feed, your social media feeds. It is an algorithmic, tailor-made desire magnet. You need that. Come on, I'm just, it's freaky. Just say amen if you understand what I'm saying. Am I, am I hitting anyone between the eyes besides myself? It's like, I just was looking. Here's what's freaky. With, with Alexa and your house, we have Amazon. Like, things will show up in my wife and I's feed that we just talked about in our kitchen. Okay, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so don't be atting at me. All right, I'm not a conspiracist, I promise. But it's a thing. I promise you it's a thing. It's freaky. And I guess what I'm trying to say is we are in difficult and dark days. Do you hear me? And I'm not grumpy. I'm very happy today. But I was thinking about my kids. Everything in their life, every YouTube channel has four ads to shape their desire before they watch the video. Come on, someone say amen. I'm like, I'm like son, sir, daughter, how did you know you wanted that? Come on, someone say, how did they know they wanted it? And I guess what I'm trying to say, I felt the burning, the longing in my soul, my spirit this morning was that if the church doesn't wake up, of, and by the way, of which I am a part of, that's not like a condescending if the church with some invisible reality. If I don't wake up and realize if there's not a counter desire forming power that can grip and hold the imagination by telling a better story with better promises, with a place to participate, to belong, to be empowered, to reach your potential. If there's not a desire factory that's not called the world leads you farther away from God, then friends, we are in a world world of trouble for the generations that are rising behind us. I mean, I felt the burn of God's hearts. Chatty, if your church doesn't take this desire thing serious, their desires will be terminated on lesser things that will never fulfill what they actually long and crave for. 
What if church wasn't the place I get fed, but it was the place I offered myself so that the fire could burn brighter, more compelling, more, more uh, all-encompassing? What if it wasn't about goods and services being exchanged and consumed, but it was a place where you came and you brought your desire and you surrendered it under the canopy of His great and glorious desire for Him to have a people who are wholehearted and given over to Him until they see His face? I just think, man, if it's too, if it's too um, blurry for you, then just put your kid's or your grandkid's name behind the word desire. And if you and I think we can just haphazard, I, don't, I think these are the saints, man. You guys aren't the ones that the seed got stolen. You guys are probably not the ones that got the seed in the rocky ground. But what we're talking about is those thorns, those things that pull our desire. I mean, if you're at a church service in the middle of a pandemic, you're probably not on the path or the rocky soil. But I'm telling you, the enemy will settle. He'll settle for just taking a little bit of your desire and allocating it somewhere else outside of the one who alone can satisfy. And the bummer, when our desire is misallocated, our witness is not winsome, it's hypocritical. It's not something that people are like, oh my gosh, I want to burn for what they burn with. It's like, they're kind of moral, they're kind of decent, they're kind of good, but so is my neighbor. They don't, you get what I'm trying to say? I love being, I want to be good and just and all, I want to be upright. But what I'm talking about is that there, there's something that God wants to birth and to have, and, and, uh, have fan into flame in the end of the age. And it's called a church on fire for him, his glory, his purpose, and his presence. I mean, not indifferent. Listen, I love the Genesis 3, 9, where are you after they sinned? Come on, in closing, literally in closing. When they sinned and they were naked and they covered themselves, and all of us know that story. The shame, the endless cycle of shame and blame, and he did it, she did it, he made me. It was his fault. We know what it is to hide. We know what it is to be so close but yet so far away. Come on, somebody. And that Genesis 3, 9 cry of the where are you, was God who's out to get us. Not out to get us so that he'll beat us into submission, but he's out to get us that we would come home again in the place of desire and find all of our fountains flow from him. And here's the thing, friends. Whether you want to be a part of it or not, it's going to be the reality at the end of the age. The where are you of Genesis 3-9 is finally reciprocated at the end of Revelation 22 when the Spirit and the bride say come. I want you to see that, that God from Genesis 3 has been pursuing humanity who has settled for lesser loves, lesser stories, left lesser desire, and he's been in pursuit all the way to the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to not just recover what was lost, but to restore what was lost, to redeem and to make whole and to get back on track, to take that image that was meant to radiate his beauty and his abundance and his blessing, that 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 was marred by human sin. He's come to redeem and reconcile and to renew us from the inside out. And that God who's been in pursuit will come for a people who are no longer running away, but like the end of Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, come, we're right here, baby. Come on. You can finally have what you want, which is a people given over to you. The where are you is the here we are, come, Holy Spirit. You see the story. That's the whole story of the Bible. Where are you? 
Finally, at the end of the day, he's going to have a people whose desire is given over to his desire, which is a people who are fully his. And so I just wanted to call, call you out. I wanted to call me out, call us out. And I started thinking about everything in the walk of faith, Bible reading, fasting, prayer, journaling, confession, community, hospitality, justice. All of these things are, are just a means to the end of transforming us in the place of desire so that we don't just do what is good. We want to do and delight to do in what is good. Come on, how many, how many know a part of growing up in faith is you do things you don't want to do? It's called training. I don't want I don't want to do push-ups. Come on, someone. But eventually, come on, how many have ever turned a corner when you were trying to learn an instrument, you were trying to perfect a craft, you were trying to grow in something, and that duty became a delight, and you were like, come on, say amen if you've ever experienced that, where it was just, whoa, whoa, Desire. Desire. How many want to say by way of uh, just to kick off this, this series, who would say, Chatty, there are things that are out of whack in the realm of desire on the inside of me, but I want to stand in surrender. Patrick did not know what I was talking about, but every song was about longing, making room. I mean, I saw the Lord all over that. It was amazing. But how many want to just stand today to start a journey of being conscious of that which you crave, long, and desire, and going on a journey with the Holy Spirit, with your spiritual family, by the grace of Jesus Christ, that our desire could be turned away from those things that actually diminish life and leveraged and turned towards the one who is life and life more abundant. Who wants to go on that journey with me? Can you stand on your feet? I know it's, I know it's a rally cry, but honestly, if you're like Chatty, I don't want to be indifferent this fall. I don't want to just, just, you know, slide on by. I don't want to just have this, I don't want to be a shotgun of desire where all these little pellets are hitting all these targets. I want to aim at the target named Jesus Christ and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I don't want to generally be about Jesus. I want to follow the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus. I want him to transform my desire. I don't want to be indifferent when I wake up. I don't want to just cruise. I want to have purpose in my life. And right now, I just want, I want you to just tell him. I want you to use your own words. If you're watching online or those in person, just speak to him about this place called desire. Go ahead. Just talk to the Lord like he's your friend and just invite him in to investigate and then to purify, to sanctify us in the place in the realm of our desire, in the realm of our longings and our cravings. Yes, God. Come, Jesus. Just a few more seconds. Just talk to him like he's your father, because he is, like he's your friend, because he is. And if something today is connected with your heart and this desire to just say, you know what, Lord, I want to be purposeful 
from this day forward as we walk into the fall, into that realm called desire and longing and hunger. And if you would, just put your hand on your heart with me. Father, I pray right now for the grace of God to touch every heart. That that enabling, cleansing, empowering presence of God called grace delivered to us by the Holy Spirit, the very presence of the one who's been in pursuit of us, who's longed to meet us in this place called desire, to transform us, to go on a journey of not just knowing the right thing and trying to do it, not just trying to do it, but, 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 but being indifferent, but those people who walk in righteousness as a delight and a joy of their life. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you cleanse, would you inhabit every heart in this place and those watching online? We want to say today, this day is a new day to walk in this journey with you. Come on, say that with me. Today is a new day. It's not the end of the road. It's the gate. We're entering into this space and place called transformation of our desires. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, only you can answer this prayer. Father, would you show the great delight and desire that you have for your people? Father, whenever our awareness wanes or whenever it fades or falters or, or moves to the back burner of our spiritual kitchen, would we have revelation of a man who hung on a cross full of desire, full of zeal and passion to save the world that he created with the word. And he saved the word, world with more than words, with the very cost and sacrifice of his life. Father, the moment desire wanes, Lord, let us lift our vision to the man who bore the cross, the man who bears still the marks of our redemption, the man who is the desire of the nations, the man who is the very bread of life, who can nurture and satisfy the, the one who can give us drink, that, that, that river of salvation that actually quenches our thirst, the, the vine that we draw all of our life from, the very light of the world, and in him there is no darkness. The, Father, we pray that whenever we wane and desire, we would get our eyes back on the main person of the story, Jesus Christ, the man of desire. And I pray, Lord, we would have that Jesus-looking uh, trigger effect that the moment we feel the fire diminish, we would just fix our eyes on the man with fire in his eyes. Father, I pray that over our people, those outdoors today and those online, I pray that you would meet them profoundly and powerfully right now on the inside and that you would show us the depth of your desire and love. You are a man who is not indifferent to our inner reality, but you long to occupy that space and place called desire. And I pray, God, right now you would come, Jesus, and you would sit down on that chair can you see it with your imagination? It's okay to engage your, your sanctified imagination. Imagine Jesus coming and sitting in the chair of your heart called desire. <laughs> Come on, how many want to say, have a seat and make yourself at home? <laughs> how many want to bring him an iced tea this afternoon and say, Jesus, I'll just let you stay in that chair called desire? <laughs> Come on. Come on, Lord, I just thank you for increasing that hunger in our hearts. 
It's a gift. Come on, someone say, I receive the gift of hunger and renewed focus this morning. I receive that gift. This was not Chad's idea or, or anyone's idea. This is your idea that you would be fully alive in your love and given over to it. And then as a result, given over to your kingdom and your purposes. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Can we just give him a glory shout on the count of three? One, two, three. Glory! 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 Jesus, thank you. You know, this morning I was, I was, I got up early and outside, you know, I usually do my devotions and Sunday morning prep in my chair, but the stars were calling my name. Come on, how many have ever had the stars call their name? I know Patrick, I know some of y'all. And I went out my back porch and I sat down. The thing about stars is I feel like if you look at one for too long, then you're like, I feel like I'm missing out on something over here. Come on, somebody. If you just focus on one, you'll mi- And I remember having this internal battle. I, the, the, listen, come on. This is, this is just bonus preaching right here. I sat down, and on my back porch, I have these, these cables that hold those tea lights, those little twinkle lights, you know? And I realized I put my chair and a stupid line was, was right in my line of sight between the perfect canvas of the picture that God painted for me this morning, early. Come on, we're talking about desire. And I sat there, I had an internal battle. Do I really want to get out of my chair, put my coffee back down, shift my chair, risk waking up my children in the windows above my patio, or can I just settle for this vision right here? I mean, it's still really pretty. It's one little cable that are blocking my sight. But then I thought, get your lazy booty up, move your chair, get it into the open, expansive space so you can drink in the glory of God this morning. Listen, if your desires are going to be transformed, you're going to have to do more than just move your chair, although it starts with a moved chair. Come on, somebody, and say, I can move my chair. And I tell you what, 17 inches to the right, the vision And the beauty that I saw was far superior to 17 inches to the left. We're not talking about how do I do it. We're talking about moving your chair and opening your eyes and saying, come Holy Spirit, show me the glory this morning. How many think they can do that tomorrow morning when they wake up? Move your chair. Set your alarm. Put your face up and look at the one who painted a canvas for you so you can bask and behold his beauty. That that beauty draws your heart from selfishness and self-absorption out unto worship. And when you're worshiping, you're at your best. That was a good one. That's all I got. So I just pray right now for that 17-inch journey. Uh, Maybe it was only 10 inches. But Lord, I pray that you would just give us a vision of your beauty that would draw us in on the days that we're entering. Come on, who wants to see a vision of beauty, a vision of glory, a vision of love that draws our hearts in? So right now, God, I thank you for that parable this morning where I had, I had to wrestle. I, did, I was comfortable, but, but 10 inches to the right, 17 inches to the right, Lord, the vision that you showed in the stars. And I pray right now that all of us would make those 17-inch adjustments by the grace of God. That we would behold your beauty and your wonder. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that the stars declare your glory. Philippians 2.16 says, you and I are like those stars that shine like light in the earth. 
And I pray that we would be those that people could look under our lives and see beauty, see a radiance that only comes from being rightly ordered and submitted under the one who is the glorious king. Father, send us again, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. We all shouted amen and amen. Thank you guys for going with me there. I love you. Bless you. Don't forget to sign up and just love each other.